Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the African Tech Roundup. Every Monday we round up the week's most important technology, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu, broadcaster and entrepreneur, and my co-host on the show, as always, is tech entrepreneur and executive editor of iAfrican.com, Defo Mohapi. How are you doing, mate? Uh, not so good. A bit of a cold. This time we're both eating on the show, making this a tradition. You had a banana last week. We're having peanuts and, and raisins this week. Yeah, I might as well, eh? And <laughs> hey, listen, you go ahead and eat whatever you need to eat in order to enjoy the show. We won't judge you, not one bit. And if you're listening for the first time, well, here's what you do. Head straight to africantechroundup.com to catch up on what you've been missing. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly newsletter and get the podcast sent straight to your inbox every Monday. And let us know what you think about the show by tweeting at us at African Roundup. Give us a shout. And of course, stick around because in this week's discussion segment, we'll be discussing software upgrades. This given the recent complaints around the new Windows 10 upgrade, and I can hear a collective grown <laughs> go across the globe <laughs> over that one but before we get to all that this week's african tech roundup is once again supported by our sister podcast african tech conversations brought to you by the same stellar team which produces this very podcast now the latest episode features an in-depth chat i had with brandon doyle the co-founder and CEO of Africa's biggest ICT-focused investment fund manager, Convergence Partners. Now, Brandon gave me an update on how well Convergence Partners' legacy business portfolio is doing. It includes successful investments in companies like Seacom and Dimension Data. He told me about how he's planning to invest the 200 million odd US dollars that Convergence Partners has managed to woo into its recently closed communication infrastructure fund. Now, here's a snippet from that interview. It's Brandon telling me why they'll be making it rain over West Africa. We've actually been invested in West Africa for, for some years now, um, not directly as in our own balance sheet taking investments in the West African region, but through our, our portfolio. So many of the portfolio companies that we've invested in have grown into that region. So I think in the first place, uh, in the first instance, we've become comfortable with the West African region just simply because of um, of seeing what's happened within our portfolio. It, it's an exciting place right now. I mean, there's, uh, if you just look at the sort of overarching economic growth statistics and some of the, uh, the, the kind of population growth and, and population change statistics that are happening in some of those, uh, those economies, it's, it's really interesting. Thirdly, there's been some interesting kind of political changes um, that, uh, that are taking place there. Uh, a lot more st- stability coming to the region politically. Um, and then lastly, and by no means least importantly, in our space, it's a very, very dynamic and, and rapidly changing environment. So if you take a place like Nigeria, which is an area where we're investing right now, you take a population of that, of that size and scale um, and relate that back to the availability of telecoms infrastructure in that market, there's a, there's a huge challenge for Nigeria. Um, and I think it's recognized as a challenge both by the operators on the ground there, the regulator, government. Um, so there's a lot of uh, positive initiatives uh, taking place, both to create friendly invest- investment regime as well as uh, a friendly telco regulatory environment. Well, again, you can listen to the full in-depth chat I had with Brandon, as well as conversations I've had with other leading entrepreneurs and thought leaders from Africa's technology scene on African Tech Conversations, which you'll find at African. 
AfricanTechRoundup.com. And now it's news time. We open with two stories involving two of Vodafone's biggest companies in Africa, namely Vodacom in South Africa and Safaricom in Kenya. So firstly, Vodacom cut off its G-Connect Wi-Fi hotspots in South Africa this past week for quote-unquote normal operational reasons. Then you have Safaricom, which is Vodafone-owned, which is charging customers for its Lipanam Pesa, which is a money transfer service, but it's not clear how much they're charging customers, so the Competition Commission is stepping in there. Okay, so let's talk about the Vodacom story first. What happened here? Vodacom are saying they shut down certain uh, hotspots that which network, parts of the network which affected wireless G hotspots or G Connect hotspots owned by wireless G. And uh, the CEO of uh, wireless G is a bit angry at this because they were expecting better from Vodacom. I'm sure given uh, the fact that they filed for business rescue back in August and Karl van der Merwe seems to be claiming in, in some of his statements that there were some long-term distribution agreements which business partners they had such as Vodacom have not executed in full which is strange given how Vodacom has an indirect stake in their company I think something to the tune of 19% I suppose he was expecting Vodacom to you know to have their back in every way possible some people even suggesting maybe some bullying or some foul play of sorts the wording used here is that the services were suspended if you look at the situation that Wallace G had business rescue or is under business rescue services suspended even though Vodacom now say that the services have been restored could it be a case of wireless G themselves couldn't fulfill the terms with Vodacom? So we don't have the details. That could be the case. It's true. I mean, for those of you not familiar with wireless G or the G Connect services in South Africa, they, they offer a variety of Wi-Fi services, uh, including in-flight services in, in certain airlines, uh, hotspots in hotels, malls and restaurants. And now, despite being in trouble, the CEO of that company claims that in the next five years, they could still continue to grow to 20,000 hotspots across South Africa. That's hard to imagine given, one, the struggles they're already experiencing and, two, the kind of competition that's come on board since they launched. I think they, they took too long to capture a good chunk of the market. There's a lot of competition now, not only from people who do the same thing as them, but also free Wi-Fi providers. So And costs of broadband are also dropping. Costs of mobile expected to drop. So they will find it very difficult to distribute those 20,000 hotspots that they plan to. And let's be honest, Vodacom probably has its eye on that market itself. <laughs> Who knows? They It could very well suit them to see a company like Wireless G out of business. <laughs> Definitely. They'd want that piece of business for themselves. And also, I mean, I've, I've, I've used Wireless G in a Kulula plane that's pretty expensive. It was like something like, they still charge time-based, which is like so 80s and 90s, and it was like 50 rands for 15 minutes or something like that. That's ridiculous. No flipping way. Well, anyway, listen, good luck to them. Um, if they must uh, rest in peace, well, so be it. <laughs> to Safaricom next, they're being accused of not disclosing the fact that they're charging customers for using, uh, like you said, their Lipana Impesa money transfer service and, and also not being clear on exactly how much they are charging when they do. Francis Wangombe, the CAK Director General, CAK is a competition authority of Kenya, said this past Thursday that his uh, office had received complaints from customers over Safaricom's failure to disclose the charges on Lipana Impesa. One would expect a service like this not to be free. I mean, it, it is a transfer service. There, is, you know, there are costs involved. What's the issue here? The issue, I think, is customers getting surprised with how much they're getting charged for money transfer. And it sounds like it's inconsistent as well. So I think uh, Safaricom is playing cowboy here and just flying off the pants and doing as they like. 
But also, I think there might have been an, uh, an implied promise on their part to keep the service free, maybe. Probably, but uh, according to the Competition Authority, they've asked Safaricom to undertake a campaign in both electronic and print media for at least uh, 14 days to sensitize consumers of how much they charge for this service. In addition to this, Kenyans, uh, you can look forward to stickers at points of sale at all merchant outlets and uh, certainly petrol stations and things like that, uh, informing you of what they'll be charging you at any given time to transfer money. Please let us know if you if you, if you you see them and indeed if what you're being charged is consistent with what they're advertising. We'd love to know. To Nigeria next, where advocacy group Paradigm Initiative Nigeria, PIN, has delivered a letter to Nigeria's President Buhari. They're demanding he investigate four governors that they claim have violated human rights of private citizens as well as abusing powers of their governorship within the country. Yeah, this is related to hacking team because uh, emails which were leaked to WikiLeaks have suggested that those four governors or those four members of President Buhari's uh, government were involved in ordering hacking team to buy on Nigerian citizens. That hack is just the gift that keeps on giving. Ah, yeah. I mean, there's so much. I think there's there's still more to be discovered. It's like a deep rabbit hole. There's so much that still has to come out of this. What we're not even hearing is, are these governments still using these tools? While the group has copied their letter to a number of high-profile politicians within Nigeria, a slew of human rights organizations and NGOs worldwide. Um, so let's see whether they get any response to their demands. I also wonder what President Buhari can do, because this is in hindsight. I mean, this is something that already happened in the past and it's a state security matter so I doubt he'll get back to them and tell them exactly what he's going to do. In NPO terms it's probably more a PR thing than anything. Yeah, it's just to say we are doing our job as an advocacy group. We are not keeping an eye on you. Well, to South Africa now where Naspers is reportedly plotting a rival to Netflix or at least creating a rival to preempt the entry of Netflix into South Africa. 150 odd territories across the world. Yeah, I mean another South African company tried with a set-top box called uh, Altec. So they had what they called a node and it came preloaded with some content and I've yet to see anybody talk about having bought the node. That said, for those of you who don't know Nasperis, it's easily one of the most profitable, or easily one of the bluest blue chips on the South African Stock Exchange, doing really well. Investments in companies like Tencent definitely bolstering its investments. They, they own uh, DSTV, the, the, the massive News24, uh, Media24 uh, business. I suppose if anyone is up to taking on someone like Netflix on the continent, Nasperis would probably be the continent's best bet. Well, I mean, talking of DSTV and their ownership, they don't, didn't they have DSTV mobile and DSTV online content? So what does it speak about them saying they're going to launch a Netflix rival? Basically, sketchy attempts in the past might not result in success in the future. And in addition to this, we've covered uh, video-on-demand services quite extensively um, in past shows. It doesn't seem anybody quite understands how to service the market for, for video-on-demand yet. Yeah, sure. I mean, and Nuspers have had plenty of time to corner the market, if you can put it that way, before Netflix arrives, which is, I think, will be announcing on the 19th. So I, I think this is a knee-jerk reaction. They've got DSTV, which has a lot of content. They could have cornered this market long ago. Yes, and of course, a lot of their detractors and perhaps less happy clients are going, you guys can't even get DSTV right. No, why are you carrying on to do the other thing? Well, I suppose they have to try. They've got the DSTV Explorer, so I don't, I don't see why they have to make a big issue about going against Netflix. 
Who knows? Maybe they're positioning as a potential partner to Netflix. So, you know, they're not seen as enemies. Who knows? It's possible they could provide some content to them. Well, it all remains to be seen. Another week and yet another romantic-sounding failure message from a startup that has bit the bullet. Travolta this time, the travel crowdfunding platform from South Africa. They're trying to make failing romantic. Basically, they failed as a business. So they were part of the crowdfunding platform wave that sort of a couple of years ago um, they seem to have a great idea on their hands basically if you are planning a trip and you wanted people to fund you you could use their platform but also what they were trying to do was create a whole social element so not only would you be part of their platform because you wanted to raise money you might be part of their platform just to keep track of other people's trips and stuff like that or to to share what you're doing on yours why you do it on their platform and not somewhere like oh say Facebook I don't know yeah, I don't think they thought... Well, I think the bottom line is not only is about well thought out, but it's about they didn't get traction and they failed. And there's nobody to blame but themselves. But also, I mean, in fairness to them, it's not necessarily the novelty of an idea that gets it to work. You know, perhaps they just entered at the, the wrong time and a few months earlier, a few years earlier, perhaps never at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's possible. Never at all sounds good. Uh, this might be a good time to plug your lean startup machine. <laughs> yeah, but they failed to validate their business and get traction. So, yeah. Anyway, good luck to you, chaps. We say this tongue in cheek. We're startup founders ourselves and we know the hustle. Maybe the final project should be a crowdfunded trip for them around the world. <laughs> What's interesting is one of the founders have said that they'll be going around the world. I presume they've made at least enough money to do that. Well, that might kickstart the platform again. Who knows? Well, the one they have promised anybody who's got money stuck in the system or existing campaigns still running, they've promised that they'll, that, you know, the money will be passed on and if anyone needs to carry on campaigns on other platforms like Indiegogo or Kickstarter or something like that, they'll be they'll be happy to, to help you transition. So, hey, I think they're doing their best and if they must travel around the world or move on to other startups, we truly do wish them the best. Well, finally, there seems to be a shortage of data scientists worldwide, but particularly in South Africa where the SKA project has created a sudden need for data scientists to deal with the data that's being delivered to South Africa at an incredible rate. Yeah, I mean, it's collecting terabytes upon terabytes of information daily from all across space. And obviously, with all that data, needs people to analyze it. The Square Kilometer Array, or SKA Telescope, is totally live right now and scanning the skies for all sorts of data that will help us understand our universe that much better. And now, something like 40 to 50 uh, data scientists are needed to make sense of all this data. Where are we going to find these people? I think they're coming through. There's a good community of data scientists in South Africa. It's just a matter of uh, do they want to work for the SKA? And I think we sh- this is a good call for universities to also start uh, training more data scientists. I know there's some good work happening at WITS, for example, with Professor Dolatsky. And uh, I, I, I think there's pockets of brilliance. Um, I suppose it just all needs to come together. Yeah, and the CSIR too. There's quite a lot of data scientists and work going down there. So yeah, you're right. There's quite pockets who are not speaking to each other. And the SK maybe needs to tap into those communities. I wonder, though, just out of interest, what do you think they're going to find? I mean, what, what, what do you think a project like the SKA sets up to hope to find? Life, what, water on some planet? <laughs> it's like Kumbulekaya for E.T., you know, he since went home, so they need to call him back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but on a serious note, it's, it's more about trying to learn more about the world, about the universe, and what's out there and what we can do. 
Well, data scientists, if you're out there looking for something new to do, wanting to relocate to to South Africa, certainly um, probably something you can you can be a part of from anywhere in the world. But I think we'd love for you to come to come to the continent and do it. So, if you're listening to this and you're keen, give them a shout, man. Now let's move into our discussion segment for this week: software upgrades. My word, a lot of upset people over this Windows 10 thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think these software companies need to be cognitive that in in Africa and developing countries, one, the cost of the internet is pretty expensive. Not many people are on ADSL or DSL type uh, connections, which are generally faster and a little bit cheaper. So most people are still on their 3G, HSDPA, dongles, connections, which are pretty expensive because that's mobile broadband. And so when you get home and you're trying to you get this automatic update of a Windows 10 or Adobe or anything and all of a sudden you got this 1,000 rands bill or 2,000 rands bill for downloading gigs of software. It's pretty irritating. You surely can't expect them to go back to, you know, uh, distributing via DVDs or CDs and that kind of thing. But on the other hand, I think what you just said, I think at the heart of the problem is the fact that you don't choose the upgrade in this case. I mean, you literally connect to the internet and it says <laughs> here you go. Yeah, and it gets, with some software, it gets to a point where it does give you an option to postpone it, but at some point, it's like, it has to be done now. You're faced with a situation where you either upgrade now or you can't work. I know um, Adobe, that uh, Adobe has done similar things with its uh, with its creative suites and, and stuff like that. Yo, it's it's been quite a mission, I have to say, having to uh, working with creatives who who work in that space. Um, not all of them being too thrilled with it, especially if they're not in an ADSL environment uh, with unlimited data. Yeah, it is irritating. So I think they've used the model that you have on mobile phones or smartphones where you download the app and yeah, you can set only to upgrade or update when you're in a Wi-Fi zone. That's fine. But the packages normally on smartphones are much smaller. You're not talking a gig or anything like that. So when you come to laptops, yeah, it becomes a problem. We're not even talking about upgrades over time. This is like a once-off massive chunk. And then over time, no doubt, there'll be upgrades. Given the glitches that, in, that have already surfaced, um, there'll be upgrade upon upgrade, we can expect. It seems like a rock and a hard place in my mind because w- what should they do then? I mean, they have to think in terms of delivering a seamless service to the world in terms of great software that everyone can use and access at the same time. You have to think about developing markets who, who don't have free data, like, say, parts of Europe and America. Yeah, it is a rock and a hard place. Uh, we can't go back to CDs and boxes. Obviously, that time is passed. Also, the cost for software companies to do that, it would increase their costs quite a bit. So we need to find a solution, especially for developing countries. How we do that, probably partner with uh, mobile networks to say this is zero rated because it's a software update, something like that. Basically, speak to the folks at Facebook because they seem to be really good. <laughs> Uh, creating stuff, uh, rolling it out at zero cost to people who are signing up for them. Granted, we're talking about it's not apples and apples and oranges and oranges in this case. But I mean, certainly a model that might involve, like what you mentioned, partnering with, with local networks and um, finding ways, basically, to not to, to, to take the pain off staying with your software. Yeah, I think, I mean, software, so it's not like you're updating your software for fun. It's going to enable you to work and connect to the internet. So they might as well as zero rate the updates. And also what they could do is cache the updates and put them on the mobile service provider's 
networks or data centers so it's closer so there's no latency it's quicker so yeah or just go back to charging people because they're paying anyway yeah but not for 10 gig dude <laughs> <laughs> i suppose not well listen what is your experience with the new windows 10 software or yeah the adobe suite or any other software that uh you're you're quite frustrated with at the moment tell us about your experience in terms of upgrading that software uh, how much it costs you in terms of bandwidth in terms of data in order to do that perhaps you're working at a software company and you or at least maybe even at microsoft and we we might even enjoy hearing your rationale around rolling out the software in this way particularly to developing uh, regions uh, like the African continent. Uh, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at African Roundup. And of course, if you'd like to share an audio comment on a future episode, you are free to drop us a tweet on the hashtag ATRU comment and our team will be on it like white on rice. Once again, this week's African Tech Roundup is supported by our sister podcast, African Tech Conversations, which uh, currently features an in-depth chat with co-founder and CEO of Africa's biggest ICT-focused investment fund, Brandon Doyle. To listen to my interview with Brandon, as well as conversations with other leading entrepreneurs and thought leaders from Africa's technology scene, and we're talking people like MTN South Africa CEO Mtetunyati and fintech investor Dominique Collett, head straight to africantechroundup.com. Otherwise, until next week, it's cheers from me, Andile Masugu, and goodbye from me, Tifo Mohapi. Take it easy. Ciao, guys.